Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, bed crimers. As always, I wish you the best. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Thank you for checking out my channel. Let me just ask that after listening to or watching this video, if you learned something or enjoyed it, please do me a favor and smash that like button. Now, let's dig in. Happy Friday, my friends. Hope you're all well. We learned this week that suspect Brian Koberger was found with the ID of one of the University of Idaho students who lived at 1122 King Road. The ID was found in one of Koberger's residences. This tangible connection between him and the crime scene house is very damning. There's no good reason or explanation for why Koberger would have this ID. Former FBI agent Jennifer Coffin Daffer called it the smoking ID. I'm thinking that it likely belongs to the same female victim who Koberger repeatedly directed messaged on Instagram and whose photos were found on his phone. It's also sounding like he may have cyber-stalked one or more of the victims as far back as 2021. We know the Moscow police believe he was stalking one or more of the females at 1122 King Road during his 12 visits to their neighborhood in the months leading up to the crime. If Koberger is the perpetrator, and if he really did try to contact one of the victims repeatedly, if he really does have photos on his phone, and if he has one of their IDs, certainly points to him being on the fast track to becoming a serial killer. Similar to Dennis Rader, a.k.a. BTK, and we know that Koberger studied under Dr. Catherine Ramsland woman who helped Raider write his autobiography. So today I want to talk about serialists and trophies. In the context of these brutal acts, a trophy is an item that the perpetrator takes from a victim as a souvenir of the crime. The FBI differentiates in their definition of these two words, classifying a souvenir as something that fuels a perpetrator's fantasies, while a trophy is proof of their skill. Regardless of how you define the terms, the results are the same. The perpetrator uses these objects to relive the thrill of the crime and to feel powerful once again. It's clear that when Brian Koberger was growing up, he was, and he felt, rejected by the pretty girls he tried to woo with love letters. A chunky kid, he went to extremes to lose more than a 100 pounds and even had a tummy tuck afterward. But despite his heroic efforts, he still wasn't accepted. He still wasn't popular, and he still wasn't getting dates with the cute girls that he coveted. After going through all those efforts, he had to feel powerless when none of it worked, when he still wasn't able to get the girl, when the message was, you are still not good enough. He had to have almost felt impotent 
lacking in this male power. And I do believe the crime in Moscow, Idaho, was to a large extent about power. The perpetrator took great pains to ensure he would have the upper hand. He showed up in the still dark hours of the morning when even the rowdiest of partiers on a campus were likely sound asleep. He snuck in the back door, wearing a mask to conceal his face, and then crept up to the third floor, attacking unarmed, sleeping or half-asleep, groggy, possibly even inebriated students, and getting up close and personal with a large, sharp object, gave the perpetrator total control. If it was Koberger, it's easy to see how the crime would have given him a sense of being in control and having all the power. Maybe he was thinking to himself, you wouldn't give me the time of day, so now I'm taking all of your days. Taking objects from victims and hoarding them is a risky business. For a serialist who's gone to great lengths not to get caught, holding a trophy that ties him to a victim or a crime scene seems foolhardy. And yet... This is pretty much a universal behavior of most serialists. The same sick, gnawing proclivities that fuel them to take human life seem to drive them to take and keep objects that have the potential to get them sent to a prison cell for life or worse, to find themselves in a special chair or in front of a squad of guys or gals with weapons. It's almost like they can't control themselves from taking these objects. Ed Gein, a serialist from a small town in Wisconsin, was at the peak of his sick career in the 1950s. Fun fact, he was the inspiration for the main character, in Silence of the Lambs. Gein was initially caught stealing dead bodies from graves. Later, however, he confessed to taking the lives of two women. His trophy of choice was the skin of his victims, which he used to fashion into other items, including masks, belts, corsets, and even lampshades. You could say that Gein was the ultimate crafter. Who needs Hobby Lobby when you can get your supplies from the cemetery? Can you imagine the looks on the faces of investigators when they raided Gein's house? It had to be a major what-the-f moment, maybe followed by some praying to the porcelain goddess and also to God in heaven, too. Serialist Jeffrey Dahmer, also from Wisconsin. Why are they all from Wisconsin? I'm from Wisconsin, but I can assure you, my fantasies are more of finding myself alone in a candy store with free reign to chow to my heart's content. Back to Dahmer, who coincidentally worked at a chocolate factory called Ambrosia. We used to buy chocolate there back to Dahmer. Between 1978 
1991, he murdered and dismembered 17 men and boys. He first began collecting trophies when he preserved the head and private parts of one of his victims in acetone. As his desire to collect trophies grew, he ended up with a freezer jammed full of body parts. When he was finally caught, a first responder made the mistake of opening Dahmer's fridge. Inside, the cop locked eyes with those of a freshly severed head that was sitting on the bottom shelf. I often think it would be absolutely fascinating to be a homicide detective, but when I read about stuff like that, I'm like, no, there's just no way I could do that. Dennis Rader, aka BTK, took the lives of 10 people between 1971 and 1994 before finally getting caught in 2005. His apprehension was due in part to the fact that he hoarded mementos from his crimes, including the driver's license of some of his victims. He was also known to take photos of their bodies. When Raider's daughter, Carrie Rawson, was told of her father's crimes by an FBI agent who showed up at the door to her and her husband's apartment in Michigan, not only was she gobsmacked to learn about the crimes, she was also shocked to find out that her father told the authorities about a false bottom space in the hallway of the family home under a drawer. Carrie wrote in her book that she and her mother and brother had walked down that hallway umpteen times a day and that the family kept linens in the top cabinet. The middle drawer was a catch-all and old towels and socks were stored in the bottom drawer. Naturally, Rawson was very upset to find out that her father had been storing his trophies under that drawer, and that she'd walked by it a million times without knowing what was under it. And then we have Ted Bundy, who used his good looks, charm, and intelligence to lure at least 36 women to their deaths. He told the police that he'd decapitated 12 of his victims. Bundy would display the heads, and then he would do up their hair and put makeup on them. He told detectives, and I quote, if you've got time, they can be whatever you want them to be. I knew Bundy was a scary dude, but these behaviors make me so happy to know that he's dead. Hearing that Brian Koberger allegedly took this ID and possibly more as a trophy or trophies makes me feel a huge sense of relief that he's behind bars. I do believe that if he's the guilty party, then he would most likely have gone on to take more lives and more IDs. Is it also possible that Koberger deliberately took an ID as an homage to BTK, a killer we know he studied under Dr. Catherine Ramsland? And by the way, Koberger has something else in common with Dennis Rader. In Dennis Rader's first crime, he killed four people, 
if Koberger is the perpetrator of the crime in Idaho, that is a scary similarity. So Rader was a mass murderer before he became a serial killer. And we've now learned that authorities in Pennsylvania are looking at particular homicides and trying to see if there is a connection to Brian Koberger. So the big debate has been because of the brutality of the crime in Moscow and the number of victims and the method used to kill them, could he have done this before? And it sounds like the authorities are taking that very seriously, and they may have some cases that fit the M.O. So although Koberger hasn't been found guilty yet of this crime, I feel better knowing that he's behind bars. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories, hey, do me a favor, smash that like button, subscribe to my channel, and leave me a comment. See you next time.